Hi, I'm Mario Evan, and you're listening to Talk Trot, a weekly inspired edutainment podcast discussing the things that most people are afraid to, but from a Jamaican perspective. From relationships, sex and sexuality, to the ins and outs of entrepreneurship, in this space we speak about almost anything with the intention to inspire, educate, entertain, and create a fair and balanced space where your truth shall become your power and set you free. What up my people, this is episode number 16 and you're listening to Talk Truth. <laughs> you don't know, I'm your boy Mario Evan and I am here coming to you this week to speak to you from an interesting perspective. Um, uh, many of you know I'm a medical doctor. But that's not necessarily the angle that I want to come from today. I want to come from the angle of just being a human and a human who has gone through personal health issues. I won't necessarily call them scares, but at the time when they happened to me, they were definitely scary for me personally. So this episode I am titling, What's Your Health Status? And that's really me asking you, have you been checking yourself? I was going to call it check yourself before you riggedy wreck yourself. That's why you hip hop lovers. But um, I decided I'll call it what's your health status. And that's really me asking you, what have you done to ensure that you are remaining healthy and that you continue to be healthy? And what habits have you developed and what practices are you doing to ensure that you can ensure that you have some longevity to life i i definitely respect the fact that when it's time to go it is time to go and that's not decided by us but i also believe that we are in control and driving the vehicles that we have on this road of life and we need to put the right amount of fuel in it we need to put in some windscreen washer some um you know oil some some you know but we need to put in all the necessary things into the vehicle to ensure that it operates properly. And the way I'm going to navigate this, this episode is I'm going to share once again. I'm going to speak my truth about various health things that had hit me at different points in life that I really did not see coming. And one of the very first ones that I want to talk about is me having high cholesterol. The next one I want to touch is one having to do with my vocal cords and I'll tell you more as I move along. And the high cholesterol one was interesting because somewhere around 12 years old, the University of the West Indies, which is where I was born, decided to do a study. Or maybe some doctors or scientists from the university decided to do a study on children born at the university. And they were doing a series of blood tests. And one of the things included in the blood test was cholesterol. So they had come to to Campion College at the time. I was in high school and they took blood from the, the kids who were born at UA. And the results took a while to come back. I, I figure, I don't even remember if you really needed to be informed, but long and short is that I got back my results and it showed that my cholesterol was abnormal. So they didn't actually give us a numerical value. And now as a doctor, I know that normal cholesterol, normal total cholesterol, the upper limit of normal is 5.2 millimoles per liter. That's what is measured in. At the time, I just got normal or abnormal. Of course, my father being a doctor, he would be the first person that I wanted to show this to. And I mean, 
very much in Jamaica, we have a way where we feel a lot of young people are immune to illness. And you and I know that a lot of young people can have hypertension, like even in their teens. You can have type 1 diabetes from, from your child. You can have hypertension even as a baby. Children develop cancers. But there is a maybe universal feeling that children are immune to illness. And, and you can appreciate that. Children tend to come into the world healthy most of the time. And then they grow and then you become, as you become older, you develop chronic illnesses, which are either hereditary, meaning that there's a genetic component to it, which runs in the family, or maybe you're the first in line, but maybe for different reasons and environmental factors, you develop other illnesses. So here I am at 12 with the abnormal cholesterol. My father is a doctor and he's a very reasonable one as well. And you know, he pretty much said, boy, chill, burn that off, man. You can burn that off. So we're not, we're not really concerned about this high cholesterol in this moment because I'm young and I've been healthy and I haven't had any health problems. Ironically, around the same time or close to that result or in that same year, my father actually had a heart attack. He had a heart attack under 55 and also not someone with a lot of risk factors. He, he, he smoked many years ago and he stopped. But long and short is that Having a heart attack under 55 is one of those risk factors for heart disease for you as a child. So that had happened and um, it caused some concern to the family. It was a very scary time for us. You know, we we didn't see it coming. It happened while he was playing cricket and and it didn't come in necessarily the most typical form. So it was one of those things where, you know, there were some symptoms and then on investigation, it turned out to be a quote unquote mild heart attack. Of course, you know, soon after that, I started to have chest pain and all these things. And with the high cholesterol result, I ended up going to have it investigated and they found no problems. Fast forward a couple of years, because again, the cholesterol wasn't really a priority still. You know, daddy had his heart attack. That was a focus in that moment. But I moved all the way up into sixth form. And I think I had actually done a blood test again, which, which showed that it was high. So I made it my duty to ensure I was more physically active. And in sixth form, I had actually tried out for the basketball team. I wasn't a great player, but I could play a bit. I was on the bench. and um, But what was good about basketball was that I got to train. I got to train with the team. And it was a family environment where our coach, who went by the name of Chicken at the time, he had some really good players and he had some not so great players like myself. But all of us would train together. All of us would do all of the, the drills and we used to jog from Campion down to the stadium, which is a, a few miles off and then come back. And I mean, all of this stuff would just mash me up. But I knew that at least I was doing the exercise component of the greater good for my cholesterol and for my general health. Fast forward all the way into medical school where I'm doing pathology and microbiology. Um, in terms of where I am age-wise, I'm now about, let us say, 21. And I speak to Professor Barry Hanchard, who just passed, God rest his soul. He was one of the most amazing lecturers I have ever had. And um, a true mentor, a true counselor, just a really cool, mellow, impactful individual who, who I'll dearly miss, who I'll miss dearly. And I said to Prof, I said, Prof, I think I have high cholesterol. So he, I think we were just doing cholesterol in the lecture. And that's why it came up. And he said, rubbish, man. If you have high cholesterol, I'll pay for your test. 
And I said, all right, no problem, let's do it. So we arranged for the blood test. I did the blood test. And um, <laughs> the blood test came back to Prof. And Prof called me into his office one day. And Prof had this blank, this blank stare in his face because he was shocked. I am like maybe in medical school at 21, I'm probably not even over 130 pounds. And I'm still like a really small man. And he's looking at me and he's based. He probably remember that his heart attack as well, which I didn't think about at the time. And he's like, your cholesterol is off off the charts. It was something like could have been 7.8 or something ridiculous. Remember, I said 5.2 is upper limit. Immediately, he refers me to another professor, Professor Rainford Wilkes, who is a metabolic doctor per se. He deals with stuff like high blood pressure, diabetes, high cholesterol. And at that point in my life is when I started seeing Rainford Wilkes. He's been my doctor ever since and he has managed my high cholesterol, which I have been pretty much. Initially, you start off with diet and exercise where you try to pretty much control your cholesterol by eating less fats, less fast food, less saturated fats. You try and, and of course, you're trying to have regular exercise to keep your cholesterol low. And we normally try that for six months. I did my six-month run, and I mean, I wasn't joking. I was fanatic about this cholesterol control. I joined the dam. I was jogging. I was probably now 120 pounds. I don't know. I was a stick in a bush jacket. It wasn't a really cute sight, but I was gaunt. My face was slim. Cause I'm determined to get this thing controlled, right? Uh, I didn't tell you what he thought it was. What 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 Prof. Hunter said he what Prof. Wilkes, I'm sorry, said it was was this is likely to be genetic. You have a set of cholesterols that are not from just eating fast food or fatty food. You have a set of cholesterols that are genetic. They are hereditary. And he even went as far as to say, we won't be able to do the genetic testing easily, but this profile in terms of your lipids, the LDL, the HDL, your total cholesterol, the numbers that you're having looks like type 2A hypercholesterolemia. Big medical talk for a genetic type of cholesterol, of high cholesterol, but there are different subtypes. And this subtype has what we call high atherogenicity, which means that you're really laying down a lot of cholesterol in your blood vessels, in your plaques. Now, just imagine a pipe with some sludge building up in the inside of the pipe and the sludge is just kind of coming in and coming in and coming in and coming in until eventually the sludge blocks off the pipe. And when the pipe is blocked off, then you can get something like a heart attack or a stroke. So, you know, when I say type 2A, I'm studying this in medical school and I'm like, yo, the um, atherogenicity was put in pluses. So, you know, you would have a subtype that would have like a one plus and then you'd have one with like a two plus. Some did have a dash like none. And my 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 supposed um, high cholesterol had three plus <laughs> atherogenicity. <laughs> so, you know, in my head, I'm like, oh, crap. This is the end. Like, I'm not going to make it to 30. I'm going to have one of those, you know, them people where they're on a football field and them just training and them just drop down. You know, that athlete who just dies because, you know, nobody knew. So I had resolved in my mind that I probably wasn't going to make it to 30. Uh, well, by the time I went to prof and the six months of exercise had expired, we repeated the cholesterol and the cholesterol was still high. At which point he was then going to tell me that, you know, we're going to need to control this with medication, Mario. And I'm I'm not excited about it. 
one of the main side effects of, of statins is that you can have muscle pain, which they call myalgia. You can have liver dysfunction. So your liver enzymes in your blood will go out of control because, you know, your liver processes the drug and after a while the drug can affect your liver enzymes. Um, knock on wood, I've been fortunate. I have had no muscle pain and I've been on these medications for many years. Not to say that down the line that these medications won't damage something, but um, like everything in medicine and how I view medicine even as a doctor, it's a risk-benefit assessment. So you have to decide whether the benefit of taking the medication outweighs the risk of the complications of the disease. And this is going to lead me to really what I'm trying to drive home in this episode. You know, I have a lot of patients with chronic illnesses and for some reason, the Jamaican myths of Lord, me go feed panda medication. Yeah, me go take it every day till me dead. I don't want get get addicted to it. These myths for me are are really excuses and ways that people try to to kind of be in denial and people stay in denial for very extended periods of time around around health and wellness and. Maybe because I'm coming from a perspective of someone who is not fearful of, of, of health and wellness and not fearful of taking medication and not fearful of putting in a certain amount of work, I may be biased. Um, but that's okay because I like the fact that I'm a doctor and I'm somebody that exercises regular and somebody that actually takes medication daily for you know cholesterol and who tries to eat properly and who does all of the things that I actually preach to my patients. So I can definitely sit on that side of the table and know that I practice what I preach. But, you know, it's really hard for me to, to look on somebody with a blood pressure of like 180 over 100 and, and you tell them to take medication or you instruct them to take medication and then you see that they're not, they're not really making the effort to, to remain true to the game. And the disclaimer to that is... You know what? Medication costs money and it means that there are some people who cannot afford to fund their medication from month to month. So I am being a little reasonable about this discussion because I'm not trying to judge anybody or bring them down because there are factors that can make it difficult for people to be compliant to the point where we're in the US, they're even avoiding the term non-compliant because the term non-compliant almost implies that the patient is disinterested in, in continuing their management, which which is not really the case. The patient may have a very high interest level and have, and is very deeply interested in, in controlling their illness, but they have financial restraints, budgetary restraints, and other restraints that make it difficult for them to do so. So to stay on an expensive medication on a month-to-month basis when you have a child to feed and bills to pay may be truly impractical. But I am really talking to the people who can afford it, but who choose not to do it because they've come up with a narrative to prevent themselves from doing it. So long and short is, I've had cholesterol for many years. And if you're counting it from when I was 12, it would be many, many years. If you're counting it from when I started taking medication, it would still be a couple of years. And um, I continue on the journey, you know, and sometimes it goes up, sometimes it's out. Sometimes I have a period where I am not very compliant and, and it skyrockets. And the sad part about the hereditary type of high cholesterol is that even when I'm eating my best, 
in the real world. When I'm off medication and eating my best and exercising, my cholesterol can still be high. So it's very different from somebody who eats fried eggs and bacon every morning and for that reason their cholesterol is high. It's very different. So for people who are not familiar with the cholesterol game, you know, it's not about Mario fixing his diet and, and he's going to be perfectly fine. This is actually in the genetic coding. And um, people need to understand that. And with, the, with, that, with that awareness, when you are going to see a doctor, you need to consider looking at your results from that perspective that you may actually have some other predispositions. There's some races that, that are a little bit more predisposed. If you're of, of Indian descent, it actually gives you a slightly greater predisposition for having high cholesterol. And so, you know, these things are things to keep in mind. I'm going to move on to the second one um, that, that, that concerned me greatly because, as you all know, my dream has always been to really take music to a large-scale level as an entertainer. But um, what I did, I went to music school at Berkeley College of Music in Boston, which was one of the most fascinating and truthfully most personally fulfilling experiences of my entire life because it really revolved around me doing what I loved and having people around me who also were like-minded. Well, imagine four years of music school, of undergrad music school. You do a lot of theory, so you're in the classroom doing, doing bookwork, but you're also a singer. So, you know, you're doing vocal warm-ups, you're doing vocal classes, but you're also gigging, you're meeting people, you're joining bands. You're in rooms with loudspeakers, with monitors facing you, with, with saxophone and horn players, which you know that that's one of the loudest instruments. You have drum sets around you. You're doing this for four years, and I'm also coming from Jamaica as someone who is a party goer. So, you know, I have already have the, the years before me of um, going to sessions, young boy, I stand up in front of a speaker box because you think it look cool. Just the, the sheer number of years of being exposed to loud music and then to go to music school and be exposed to more loud music. Two things came out of music school and one was one morning I woke up and I realized I could hear ringing. <laughs> I realized it was like when I used to go to a party in Jamaica and stand up in front of a speaker, but normally when I would go home, that ringing would have disappeared maybe within the course of a day. Maybe at least after 24 hours, it would have disappeared. But this time, the ringing is not stopping. The ringing is always there. The ringing is not going away. And I went to get it checked out and I'm told, you know, you have, you have tinnitus. You have ringing in the ears. And the reason you have ringing in the ears is because sound damage can cause these little hairs, these little nerve nerve hairs, these cilia in your ear, to flatten. But guess what? When they flatten, they don't recover. It's one thing in your body that also doesn't regenerate. When you lose them, they're gone forever. So long and short, you know, my hearing test is normal. I'm still hearing in normal ranges. But you have ringing and it's not going to go away. And the only thing you can do is to protect your ears. You have to get custom-made earplugs, and we're going to refer you for those. So I go and get my molds made. I have these custom earplugs. They fit like a glove. They block out everything. And then they have some cool filters sometimes. So you can pop in a filter that allows a certain amount of sound to come through, but doesn't allow everything to come through. So you don't actually feel deaf <laughs> to the world, but you can still hear 
certain things, but still protect your ears. So, you know, I'm now hip to the game of custom earplugs with um, complete blackout if you don't want to hear anything or various filters, minus 10 decibels, minus 15 decibels, minus 20 decibels. And now I'm protecting my ears. I'm going out to parties with my earplugs that are almost flesh colored hoping nobody will see them people are seeing them people are asking me yo maria what that now you're having hearing aid no it's not a hearing aid they're earplugs why you have earplugs you know people ask questions because that's what we do in life um so you know i i have to be asked questions at parties why are they in your ears sometimes you see them in your pictures are wearing them in church because church is loud sometimes the gym is loud aerobics room is loud I have all these various spaces where I have to be protecting my ears because the volume of everything is just way too loud. And I'm grateful because I now know that I have ringing in ears as permanent and to protect these money makers that I need to sing in pitch, to to hear chords and and to hear harmony in order for me to keep these things functional for long, in order to have this career that I want to have. I have to protect my ears. But of course, I'm greatly disheartened because nobody who is in the music industry wants ringing of the ears. But guess what? A lot of people have it. <laughs> you know, like, I'm sh- I swear to you, half of, of the musicians, you know, are probably half deaf if you really were to do hearing tests on them. But that's for another day. Also, another thing that happened to me coming up to my, my final graduation concert, you know, my parents have flown up for graduation they're going to watch their son graduate. Me, in very involved in Berkeley. I'm in the concert. I'm in a number of pieces because I have been involved throughout school. So in the graduation, I'm, I'm like all over it. Right about two weeks before graduation, I realized that I have hoarseness. I realized that there is a part in my range. So if you sing a scale like do, re, mi, fa, so, la, ti, da, 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 nothing. And then you pick up back on the other end of that nothing. So I had this gap in my scale, in my range, where there are no notes, completely gone. And this had been going on for longer than two weeks. And then in medical school, it, they teach us that, you know, if you have hoarseness for greater than two weeks, you need to get it checked out. It's just one of those medical rules. So I'm devastated. I make it through the concert. I'm able to push around it. So, you know, I was able to to use proper support to push around getting notes out but i know i have this great great big gray area and i don't know what's causing it again i've just completed four years of music school i am a recording artist and i am a singer do you know what it feels like to lose a chunk of your range this is the end i just spent millions of dollars on music school to lose my voice <laughs> i swear to you i almost lose my mind but um as god would have it i went to check it out i went to specialists and i was in the u.s and i had, I had insurance thank god so i was able to actually see specialists and they would put cameras down there and what they thought they saw was a vocal nodule nobody wants that either because nodules again mess up your range and you sound so you know i end up being on that after college break and i kind of not really singing as much but i'm still performing but i go on vocal rest for a while and actually end up taking steroids if i'm not mistaken 
And um, I moved to New York. And I moved to New York for my internship and also to do optional practical training where from internship I would move into, you know, doing a job in the music industry on my student visa legally for a year. And, you know, I ended up going to more specialists in, in New York. And when I moved over to New York, they, they referred me to a specialist in New York who goes by the name of Dr. Sulika. And he particularly specializes in singers and people who are on Broadway. And, and that's his, his ENT kind of subspecialty. And he puts a camera down again. And at this time, he now changes the diagnosis. He said, what you have, Mario, is a laryngeal pseudocyst. And what pseudo means is false. And what a cyst is, is a fluid-filled sac. So what he could see was, as I made a noise, phonation, he could see the sac jiggling like a like jelly was in it, a gelatinous sac on the side of my vocal cord. And that was now the new diagnosis. I didn't have a vocal nodule anymore. I had a pseudocyst. And it's not that I had a pseudocyst. I probably still have a pseudocyst because I did no surgery on said pseudocyst. I get thrown into vocal therapy. I have to be humming mum and hum and mum and hum and mum because all of them something I'm supposed to help. And that was not easy to do. I had to do some weird things with my tongue position and all these exercises to, to try and heal. The long and short of a laryngeal pseudocyst is if it's really bad, you can do surgery on it. I don't want nobody to cut my vocal cord because I'm afraid about them someday because it would have a drastic film to cut it. Long and short, he said, this thing will come up and come down. It's going to vary based on how you use your voice. If you're having a cold or a flu or some kind of inflammation down there, or laryngitis, it will be big. If you shout, if you use your voice too much, it's going to get inflamed, it's going to swell up. If you rest your voice and use your voice properly, it will come down. So I said, all right, so, so can I work around this thing, doc? Yeah, man, if you use proper technique, you, you know your voice, you know how to treat your voice, you, you, steam in, you do steam inhalation, whatever. All of these different non-surgical things that could be done to prevent me from having this thing swell up and make me lose a gap in my range. Long story short is, I learned to deal with it, and this is the beauty of life. We stumble upon these really challenging blocks these little mounds of, of difficulty in life that you think is going to end. You know, I think I'm going to die before 30 because I have high cholesterol. I think I'm going to lose my voice and I think I'm going to go deaf. And how am I going to manage that as a musician? You know what I'm saying? And then you somehow overcome it. And I've been singing for years since the diagnosis of the pseudocyst. I had vowed never to speak about it because I didn't ever want to have a performance where somebody heard me hoarse or heard me not sounding good and then they would have the ability to blame my pseudocyst because maybe it has nothing to do with my pseudocyst but I never wanted anybody to crutch on that because you can always hear yo Mario next album sound different yo he sound a little off tonight it must be the pseudocyst I never wanted to give anybody that power because they don't know the details of what's going on sometimes I don't know what's going on in the throat but I would have a better idea of what is going on because I know my instrument. And I didn't want to give anybody that power. But but I'm sharing with you these truths today to show you that you can hit a stumbling block 
and overcome it without freaking out and thinking that everything is going to be gone to crap. So those are, I'm sure I have more things that have happened to me, but those are my three main ones. And I know this doesn't compare to a lot of what anybody has had. And it's not really about a comparison game about about who had breast cancer, or who has um, lupus, or who has some sickle cell, or who has something that is more difficult to deal with. Because we all have heavy burdens to bear. But this is my personal journey and some of the things that I had run up into. And as you become older, you're going to run up into more. But I come from a family with heart disease, diabetes and hypertension, glaucoma. This is in my, my genetics. And I have grandparents, great-grandparents, uncles, aunts who have these illnesses. So if I don't stay on my straight and narrow, without a doubt, the switch will flick and I will just be right in diabetes, hypertension, glaucoma land in a blink. So, so what do I do to keep myself good? I actually exercise four to six days a week. I've been a little off in this current period, but leading up to carnival, when I was aiming to get my carnival body, I was doing four days a week, sometimes twice a day, because I was trying to do more cardio. I was eating protein and vegetables, sweet potato, banana, no boiled dumpling, no fried dumpling, no flour, minimal rice, next to no rice. And um, this was my diet. I was tracking my calories. I mean, this is extreme because I was trying to get lean. I was trying to be lean and strong for carnival to look really good. I did really, I did really well. I went, I went from 171 to 161. I lost 10 pounds over three months. I still had a little belly, but you could kind of see a six-pack coming out. And I looked toned and I was lean and I felt happy and I was proud. You know, there were many people on the road who looked way better than me, but I couldn't care less because I lost 10 pounds and I felt amazing. And big up my trainer at the time, which was Matthew Kitson, for for guiding me through the process. You know, it was just a real great pleasure working with somebody with his personality type and his drive. You know, he always always would be checking in on me, ensuring that I was kind of staying true to the game. He was he kept me accountable, but he also worked worked me hard, um, and trained me hard, and I I enjoyed that, and I enjoyed the results. Right now, I took a break from Matthew um, because I needed to save some money. <laughs> so I plan to be back with him one day. But as of right now, I took a break and transitioning back to working out alone has been beating me up. Like it's hard for me get get the six day a week, the four day a week. I'm not doing very well. <laughs> I am not doing very well. But I used to work out alone before and I have done well alone in the past. But then after going to a personal trainer and then taking a break, I must admit that I'm in a very odd transition. And, you know, my life is very busy, as always. But the transition has been difficult. And again, I'm saying this just to show you that the journey won't be perfect. But from the days of high cholesterol and basketball when I was merely 17 and I decided I needed to be healthy, I've never, ever not been in a gym. You know what I mean? I've never not been in a gym. I was at the Pip-Up Gym. I was at Gymkhana. I was at Spartan. I'm still at Spartan. I've been to Express Fitness. So healthy lifestyle for me is not something new. It's not something that anybody needs to school me about. I used to do, I used to watch workout videos on ESPN when I was a kid. It was a weird fascination. Like I understood how to do a curl and how how form worked and how the, the hinges and the angles and the, and the movements were I got that far from a long time and then I became, I was into fitness. 
When I was in Boston, I was roly-poly only. I thought I looked good. I was 170 pounds, but it was not 170 pounds of muscle. I was round and I was fat, <laughs> but I didn't think I was fat. But when you look back at the pictures, I was quite fat and I was working out, but I was eating too. I was definitely in the gym, probably not going as hard as I, as I have gone in recent times, but me did a yam. I'm in a yam and the food in the US was in me, freshman, 10, 15, I don't know. I was fat, but working on. Uh, back to the things I'm doing. Exercise. Drink a lot of water. Eat a lot of good food. Proteins. Good carbs. Complex carbs. And um, veggies. I laugh a lot. I do things I love. I dance a lot. I challenge myself all the time to try new things not only in exercise but in life and and I push myself I just like the idea of trying something new and this is the mind part I have good people around me I have people who support me and anything that doesn't serve me I cut it off because we can't leave the mind out of health healthy behavior as I've been saying all these podcast episodes, I'm going to see a counselor, not because I feel I'm crazy, but because I feel like mental health is important. I've been meeting a lot of people who have come on the podcast who have emphasized the importance of mental health. And I want to be a part of that. And I don't want my life to go too far along without checking to see what kind of stuff I carry in and, and how, I can, how I can mend it. So that's, that's the common. I'll let you guys know when I actually do it. I have many names given to me who I can go to. I just need to make the appointment at an appropriate time. So that's health. That's mental health. That's um, keeping yourself happy, doing things that you love, challenging yourself, working out regularly, eating right, drinking a lot of water. Oh, and you need to go see a doctor. I don't care how old you are. Go and see a general practitioner. If you don't have a doctor, go find one. Find one. There are, trust me, there are diamonds. Everybody's a doctor. <laughs> Right, find one that you hear is good. Go and talk to them about your sexual health, your personal health. Ask your family about things in the in the family history that exist, and don't bother come with the grandparent were just dead because them because of old age. Nobody don't die in old age. Nobody dies of old age. People get old and they develop a pneumonia and they die. People get old and they have a heart attack and they die. People get old and they have a pulmonary embolism and they die. People die for a reason. Old age is not a cause of death. People get infections and they die. And I know people are going to argue with me on this and I will see the comments underneath the videos. And it's, But I'm a doctor. The body does wear down. So the old age does cause the wear down. But at the end, if you do an autopsy on these bodies, there is a cause of death. <laughs> there is a cause of death. Dehydration, infection, something happens and you die, right? You potassium inside, something happens. Just take my word for it. Um, so take care of yourself and, and, and before I'm not even ready to come out of the episode yet, but let's talk quickly about sexual health. For those of you who are having regular sex, especially if you're having sex with other partners, please get tested every three to six months, depending on what you're doing. If you're having unprotected intercourse with multiple partners, definitely know your HIV status. And remember that most, many, 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 many sexually transmitted Illnesses, diseases are asymptomatic, which means you may not have a symptom, all right? And given that they're asymptomatic, you can be a carrier for something like gonorrhea. You can be a carrier 
for for many illnesses which you can pass on innocently to other people so so be respectful of others and be respectful of your body and and check it out check it out and ask questions and figure out how to stay healthy if you are a man and you're 50 years of age and you have no other family history of prostate cancer it's time to start considering getting a digital rectal exam get over the stigma of a man or a woman pushing their finger up into your bottom because guess what you don't want to have prostate cancer which may kill you go to your bone go to your lungs have your shorter breath them do surgery upon you and this, the nerve endings around your prostate get damaged then you're impotent and then you can't have sex and then you are talking about man not for put finger up in your body get over it go and do your annual prostate exam and do your blood test along with it the two things combined provide a much more valuable result to a doctor than one. Right? You can do a PSA, which is your prostate-specific antigen in the blood, and it can be low, and you could still have a prostate cancer, a small one developing and you don't know. When somebody could push their finger in your rectum and feel the prostate and maybe feel a mass or feel an asymmetry or an irregularity in, in the gland, which could have gotten you help faster than doing the blood test do them both all right and if you have a strong family history of prostate cancer we're talking like you have a father especially if a father son um relative who has developed prostate cancer under 65 then you can even start screening from 40 years of age all right because you may be at risk of, of early prostate cancer um women you need to also start getting those breasts checked out and that would be um, a mammogram. And pretty much you can start screening at 40. You can go annually. And, um, you know, definitely 45, you can start getting a mammogram every every year, right? And if you have a strong family history of breast cancer, then it may be earlier. So ask your doctors about the ages and the cutoffs and the numbers I encourage my patients to know numbers because numbers are important. Currently, the hypertension guideline is a blood pressure with a top number systolic of greater than 130 and a diastolic bottom number of greater than 80. So if your blood pressure is over 130, over 80, it's considered high, right? If you have a random glucometer, which is when they prick your finger and take your sugar test, if you have a random sugar test and it's greater than 11.1 millimoles per liter, it is normally diagnostic of diabetes. You should know that. Right? So you should know your numbers so that if they're out of whack, cholesterol on the top end is 5.2 millimoles per liter. You should know that. If it's higher than that, the total is high. And you need to know your breakdowns of your high density, the good one, and your low density lipoproteins, HDL and LDL. LDL is supposed to be the bad one. Alright, I think I've driven my point home that I want you to Know your body mass index. Know what your appropriate weight for your height is, whether you're normal weight, whether you're overweight, whether you're obese, whether you're morbidly obese, so that you can decide what weight is a good target goal for you to aim for. It's like writing your goals in your journal. Once you know your target weight, you can do what you need to do to work towards it. All right, I think, I think I've said enough. I've been through my share of stuff. And I am vigilant about my, my health and I am not a man who is ashamed to seek medical health. 
have no problem with it. When I hit 50, I'm going to do my rectal exams or have them done. I don't care. I'd rather you check it out than me suffer from something that I could have prevented. And that's really my final words for you that don't allow yourself to suffer by the hand of something that you could have prevented because but you just didn't decide you didn't you decided not to check because you are afraid which is not a good enough reason you are embarrassed because you are afraid of the procedure which could have been explained to you or you just decided it wasn't a high enough priority for you that maybe the medication that you could have been paying for Maybe you could have afforded it if you didn't go to a movie or didn't go to that party or didn't spend that money on that hotel because your health is more important than that. All right, so another serious episode. But you know, sometimes we have to deal with the thing seriously. Your health is your wealth. So take care of yourself, folks. And you know, as always, blessed love. I wish you well. And I really want you guys to take a hold of your your health as best as you can and don't give up just keep trying it's a journey you're not going to become underweight or or normal weight overnight you're not going to convert your cholesterol to normal overnight you're going to have to be willing to stay the course and do what you need to do and if you're not happy with advice you get from one doctor get a second get a third get a fourth opinion it doesn't really matter how many people you go to all that matters is that you ensure that you take care of yourself as best as you can. So this was Mario the Human and a bit of Mario the Doctor fused together. And I thank you again for listening to Talk Truth. This is episode 16. I can't wait to, to, to talk to you again next week. As you know, follow us on Twitter at TalkTruthJA and follow me on Twitter and Instagram and our social media at MarioEvan. Shoot us an email at talktruthja at gmail.com. Our website is talktruthja.com. And when you screenshot this episode, if you love it, and you repost it, just please use the hashtag talktruthja. Again, always a pleasure. Until next week, blessed love.